tuned for the Alagos Radio, the weekly radio program featuring the best in Greek music and culture, plus interviews with Greek and international newsmakers. The Alagos Radio with Michael Nevaradakis begins now. Welcome to another week of the Galagos Radio, the radio program that bridges the worldwide Greek community and which is heard on over 20 radio stations globally and online via our podcast and streaming. I am Dr. Michael Nevradakis, and with us again this week is our regular guest host, author and ex-university lecturer Evans Agilisopoulos and Evans. We were supposed to be on next week. Uh, there was a bit of a change of plans on uh, my end over here concerning the uh, Greek version, the Greek language version of this radio program, but it's probably a good thing that we're on because so much has happened pertaining to the migrant issue just in this past week alone that we have a lot to discuss. And uh, for uh, some of our listeners anyway, they might even get the joke, you know, I'm on the air over here with uh, someone who some out there actually believe is my uh, alter ego. Uh, so Evans, it, it, it seems that you are me and or I am you or something like that anyway. Yeah, uh, great to be back on. Uh, obviously, we've got a lot to cover. Uh, what's been happening in the last week? He's quite funny in one way. Uh, after uh, Mitsotakis' defeat on the Aegean Islands, uh, attention ended up uh, being placed on the border, the land border between Greece and Turkey and in the area known as Gastanyes in Evros. Now, for the listeners that don't know, there are actually two crossing points in that region and the main crossing point for the commercial trade of Turkey is further up. So the other border was obviously selected for specific reasons so they can have, you know, a massive show of propaganda which is beamed out, you know, to the whole world through the MSM. And I will try and remind everyone that around a decade ago, uh, when Greece was allegedly bailed out by the IMF and the EU and the ECB, Merkel was on record as stating first solidarity with Greece. Then we had a whole array of groups being created abroad who went round allegedly campaigning for solidarity with Greece. Fast forward a decade later, what's occurred this week is a massive Twitter campaign uh, with the slogan, I stand with Greece. And funnily enough, the people who have started this is probably new democracy because Mitsotakis requires a national feeling that he is doing something about the migrants. When in reality, it's the exact opposite. He's trying to solidify his existence with uh, public management of his profile of this tough guy. And we hear endless fake stories regarding fake refugees and basically fake uh, crossings. So in the last week, we've had, you know, three or four amazing stories, which we'll try and touch on. Uh, speak about later on. We had a group of alleged migrants who were stripped bare and they were showing off their Calvin Klein 
uh, briefs. Then we had another story that appeared in Er, the public, or from reporters who used to work from Port Er, of, uh, I don't know, Syrian refugees being shot at the border. Then we had another story of a boat that allegedly uh, the Greek uh, Coast Guard said sink it and uh, Danish Frontex, you know, rushed to save it. And, you know, an endless array of stories coming out of Lesbos. And now a lot of the NGOs from Lesbos are doing the rounds in uh, London TV studios saying how they are all humanitarians and basically they're interested in people, uh, not anything else. And that, you know, they just want to save people. This concept of humanitarian imperialism originated in the wars of Yugoslavia and the fake left having adopted lock, stock and barrel all the nonsense regarding the Yugoslav wars then transported it all over the world. So, uh, you know, we have uh, humanitarianism which got involved with the Kurds in northern Iraq as a precursor to invading the country for oil. We had humanitarians, you know, who were liberating the women in Afghanistan against them nasty Taliban who had them all in veils. And then, you know, uh, was it drugs just soared through the limit. Then we had the humanitarian interventions in Syria with them fake white helmets saving the children from being gassed and bombed. And then we have uh, recently... This uh, company, another fake outfit called Bellingcat, who is tweeting against Greece as, you know, Greece apparently now is wiping out refugees on on mass. So the question is, what is the purpose of all this? Where is it going to lead? And what will be the outcome? You know, those were the three issues that I raised at the end of the last program. And I did ask whether Mitsotakis, you know, he basically had three options, which is to send in troops to crush the Aegean, the Aegean Island Rebellion, to basically uh, sell off the Aegean in Hague. And I did position a third idea, that Turkey may flood Greece with migrants to help new democracy out. Right, and it seems that the third option out of the three is <laughs> what ended up actually happening. Uh, we did discuss this possibility on our show last time. Uh, you brought up so many issues, Evans. Uh, let me start by just clarifying something for our listeners, and then we're going to dive in and tackle each of these issues. You mentioned the border region of Evros. That is the mainland border region between Greece and Turkey. And as you correctly mentioned, that is the region that has been getting the majority of the attention in the press and the media in the past week. And also, as you correctly mentioned, it is only at one of the two main border crossings where these so-called refugees have gathered and have been attempting to enter Greece. What that whole narrative leaves out is the Aegean Islands, which until recently were the focus of the uh, the media's attention on the so-called refugee crisis. So the islands that we've been mentioning the last couple of shows, 
Lesbos, Samos, and Hios. So here we have an interesting situation that has to do with media framing. Because if we look at both the left, the fake left, and the right, or fake right media, or fake patriotic media, we're getting two versions of the same story, and both versions are not really quite close to reality. We get the fake left telling us that, you know, these are all refugees that are trying to come in from Syria, and they're escaping war and poverty and being gassed and being killed, and bad old Greece and fascist Greek citizens have gathered and are tear-gassing them and are pushing them back and have put up walls and put up barbed wire and are not letting them in. So that's the fake left narrative. Then the fake right narrative goes back to what you were talking about, Evans, about this whole very well-coordinated, I must say, Twitter campaign that just magically appeared, uh, the so-called I Stand With Greece campaign, uh, complete with memes and nice images and photos. And you get all of these so-called alt-right outlets in Europe and the U.S. talking about how now, all of a sudden, Greece is protecting Europe's borders. And note the language there, Europe's borders. So that is also confirming, you know, the existence of uh, an entity known as the EU that has borders as if it is a state. But even beyond that, that completely ignores what is going on in Lesbos, Samos, Chios, and all of those islands to this very moment, where, if anything, the migrant flows into those islands have increased substantially. And whereas before this latest so-called crisis, we were getting maybe 150, 200, 250 arrivals a day, now we're getting 500 to 1,000 arrivals a day. Uh, but the media has focused its attention away from Lesbos and toward the mainland border. And as you mentioned, all sorts of media have gathered over there and they're, you know, they're just selectively showing images, um, that supposedly show the poor and suffering trying to come in and the bad Greeks turning them back when reality is telling us a different story. Yeah, uh, definitely. And uh, if we continue on the topic of Evros, it seems that it is a joint and coordinated propaganda campaign from both sides, i.e. from the Greek side and the Turkish side. Uh, Erdogan, as we all know, is in a severe economic crisis. I was looking at some of the figures. His unemployment officially has hit 15%. His currency is in free fall. A couple of weeks ago, he needed a bailout by Libya for some bonds. And he is involved currently in basically three wars. One on the border of Syria, one in Libya, and his internal conflict with uh, the Turkish minority and all the Turkish opposition uh, parties. I mean, in Parliament this week, they had a little boxing match and, you know, they were knocking each other out. And half of them were calling Erdogan a traitor and the other half were calling the other half as being traitors. Now, Erdogan constantly gives speeches of, you know, the neo-Ottoman Empire and he's going to defeat everyone. And it appears he is now in conflict with both East and West which means 
uh, he is suffering uh, an identity uh, crisis as to, to where he's going to go, and he's using uh, the border issue as a way of getting money uh, from the EU, and uh, the Greeks are involved in the charade because uh, they're pretending half of these things are actually for real. Uh, you know, uh, reports have come out. There's only 5% Syrians from all them blowings that have appeared on the border. Uh, we've had images of Turkish special forces on the other side encouraging them to go through. We've had images of uh, the blow-ins uh, tying ropes to the fence and the Greek police on the other side firing tear gas and then the cameras on both sides take the images and replay them. Uh, you know, I'm going to look at this from two angles. On, on the one hand, it appears for average Joe Bloggs that uh, Greece is defending the borders. Now, these images obviously are going, are being beamed out all over the world. And in theory, it might stop certain flows. On the other hand, internally for Greece, people who aren't involved in politics and primarily, uh, you know, they just get on with their business and expect political parties to be involved in politics, uh, have assumed in that region specifically that Mitsotakis is actually defending the borders and he lost a bit of control because we saw farmers with their tractors going to the borders, you know, volunteers. We had people in the villages supporting the border guards and giving them food and tea. And it's become a sort of internal national cause uh, for, you know, Greek patriots. And I think we must distinguish between the official line of the government uh, and uh, what decent citizens get involved in. They're not one and the same. Re re remember when um, Metaxas said Ossi uh, in 1940 to the Italian invasion uh, and Greeks uh, fought the Italians back. People uh, immediately adopted the concept of national resistance and against foreign invasions. And this has been adopted once more. And I think that is what is key to this situation, that the balance of forces is changing towards uh, a patriotic movement. Now, which direction it will take, you know, is another issue. But what we also saw was uh, within Athens, we had a protest of all the so-called lefties who were, you know, part and parcel of, you know, the Syriza broad church and they were demonstrating in Athens last week you know there was two or three thousand of them probably about a thousand you know were blowings and they were chanting you know get rid of the border open the borders down with the fence in Evros and here again we see the so-called humanitarians marching in step fully with Turkey and what we also need to look at is the change uh, by Tsipras. Tsipras, all of a sudden, gave a speech, I don't know where it was, maybe to his parliamentary deputies, but it was beamed out in all the media, that Greece does have the right to defend its borders. I mean, you know, if you weren't a clown in a circus, then you've got to be on a comedy show, uh, because to hear Tsipras saying that you have the right to defend 
orders, you know, the man who uh, opened the floodgates in 2015-16 adopted more than a million uh, blowings and uh, I'll, I'll report of one of these humanitarian pseudo-humanitarian doctors who gave a talk the other day in one of these film studios. She said at the height of the crisis, there were physically 100,000 migrants just on the island of Lesbos and only 10 policemen were trying to keep them in line to basically get processed. In other words, what these jokers achieved was to flood a small island with the equivalent of one-to-one in terms of migrants. And this is what they now want to do again. The possibility exists after tomorrow's meeting in Brussels between Erdogan, uh, I don't know who's going to be there, Macron, Merkel, and the following day, uh, Mitsotakis is going to go there. Uh, Erdogan could, uh, you know, release like half a million and... uh, Mitsotakis could, in theory, call for a national government uh, to basically save the migrant uh, under the guise of saving Greece. Right. uh, A lot of stuff going on over there. Let's begin with this possibility of a national government or a national unity government. It did sound to me like Tsipras, in that statement that you referred to, Evans, it did sound to me like he was angling for the possibility of participating in a national unity government because this was such a departure from what Tsipras used to say not too long ago, along with his uh, friends in Syriza, that the Aegean belongs to its fish. In other words, there's no borders. Anyone can come in. Uh, it's a free-for-all. Uh, we'll roll out the red carpet for you. So now all of a sudden he's saying Greece has the right to defend itself. I think that's the first time I've heard Tsipras say anything even remotely similar to that. So that is certainly a statement that got some attention. Now, I I think, Evans, you also were, were absolutely correct in making this distinction between what the ordinary Greek citizens feel and what the government is officially doing. And this was a question that I was also asked recently in an interview that I did for the Fault Lines radio program uh, in the U.S. I would say, being here in Athens, that the general sentiment for most citizens is that they don't want any more people coming into the country. There's an increasing realization that most of these individuals are not refugees. Evans, you did mention that statistic, which I've also seen, that only 5% of those that have uh, gathered um, in the past week or so trying to come into Greece are from Syria. They're from all sorts of other places Afghanistan, Iran, Iraq, uh, various African countries, Pakistan, and so forth. So this whole narrative that Greece needs to take in refugees and uh, support those who are fleeing the wars and killings and all these atrocities just is not selling anymore, even if there are still some that are trying to sell that narrative anyway. So we've seen for the first time in a while this mobilization of citizens trying to help out the soldiers, and I should say in the Evros region, a lot of the soldiers there are conscripts. They're 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old kids 
that um, are there because they're performing their mandatory military service. So the citizens in that region have been trying to support them as much as possible. And what I'm also seeing, and this is notable as well, uh, I follow lots of different accounts on social media and I see what they're writing and what they're saying. And for the first time, I'm even seeing the Euro liberals who are EU or bust and they're talking about national borders as well. So they're kind of the flip side of the coin of Tsipras. They claim not to like Tsipras and the fake left. They um, have presented themselves as being responsible, you know, so-called responsible Europhiles all these years. And they also, all these years, were running the line of helping their refugees and running open borders and doing away with the nation state. And now, all of a sudden, some very key uh, liberals, Euro-liberals in Greece that I've been uh, paying attention to are calling this an invasion and saying Greece has every right to... Uh, to defend itself and its borders, and it makes me wonder if maybe their own parties, and a lot of them are represented by Basok, uh, if they are also angling to get in on a possible national unity government as well. Now, as part of this point also regarding the differentiation between the official Greek government line and their actual behavior behind the rhetoric and what the ordinary citizens are doing and feeling, it should be noted for our listeners, because no one is talking about this, that with all of this supposed conflict going on between Greece and Turkey and Erdogan threatening Greece and the Greek government supposedly standing up to these threats, Greece has not cut diplomatic relations or commercial relations with Turkey. And this goes back to a point, Evans, that you made a few moments ago, that the so-called refugees have gathered at one of the main crossings in Evros, but it's the other crossing that is the main commercial crossing. And that crossing is business as usual to this moment that we're speaking now. And it's Sunday, March 8th, I should mention that we're recording this show. So as of today, Sunday, March 8th, that other crossing is still open for business between Greece and Turkey. But beyond that, Greece has not expelled any Turkish diplomats, any Turkish ambassadors or embassy staff. Uh, Greece has not recalled any of its diplomatic staff from Turkey. Diplomatic relations between the two countries are continuing as normal. And we're talking about um, a country where, granted it was under the previous government, but not too long ago, Russian diplomats were expelled from Greece for who knows what reason. I don't think any real reason was ever given. Uh, it was just under the orders of the European Union and Merkel uh, at the time where the European Union was placing, I believe, uh, sanctions against Russia. It was the height of the so-called Russiagate nonsense that we were also hearing about in the U.S., so Greece knew at the time to chuck out, I believe it was two Russian uh, embassy officials, but has never done so, at least not any time in the past decade with all of the uh, refugee situations uh, that have uh, occurred during this period, has not gotten rid of even one Turkish official from the country. So this brings us now to 
the meeting that you mentioned, Evans, that is coming up with Erdogan and some European officials. And here I want to bring up, and maybe you can shed more light on this, Evans, the recent meeting that Erdogan had with Putin, because it seems to me that some provisional agreements were made between Putin and Erdogan. It believe it, it seems if we choose to believe in such things, that there were some symbolism uh, that occurred sort of in the visuals that we saw of that meeting. But then Erdogan also following this meeting made an interesting statement about uh, preventing or stopping in some way the flows of migrants headed toward the coast. The ones, in other words, that would then uh, get on those rafts and sail across and be picked up at sea and brought to the Greek islands. So, Evans, do you have any any further light, anything that you've possibly read or heard about the content of this meeting with Putin, Putin and Erdogan, and this strange statement from Erdogan which followed? Well, I mean, uh, you know, if, if we follow the pronouncements that uh, Erdogan made, previously, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago, he set a deadline that he would invade Syria, I think on the 1st of March, and that he would take control of all that border zone area, and in particular, uh, you know, uh, wipe out the Syrian forces in Idlib. Uh, we're now come up to, you know, first week of uh, March, and today is uh, Women's Day, so we should say... Uh, Congratulations to all the women out there. Uh, he hasn't invaded Syria. You know, body bags have come back. He's spending money. That's why there was a punch-up within the Turkish parliament. And here, we must notice the subtle difference. Uh, Turkey is still, to a certain extent, a nation-state. Greece isn't. That is why we see a total omerta between all the parties, uh, you know, in the last 10 years of the political and social catastrophe in Greece, we haven't had one fist fight, one knockout blow, not even one push by any MPs who join the Greek parliament. And uh, I'll take it a step further. Uh, in the early period of 2000, for the people that don't know, uh, there was a very close association not 2000, 2010. Between 2010 and 2012, there was a very close association between the Greek Communist Party and what was then known as Golden Dawn. Uh, they shared platforms on strikes. Uh, uh, they weren't being labelled as Nazis. And Syriza was the party that was gun-ho against Golden Dawn because I, I believe that the rise of Syriza couldn't have, have held in power without a fake internal enemy, the enemy of the so-called far-right Nazis. And that change started around 2014, just before uh, Samaras was going to hand over power to Syriza. There was a, a campaign against uh, Golden Dawn, and immediately uh, Syriza... And the KK adopted, uh, you know, the line of these hard right Nazis. And, and now we notice on the Aegean Islands, uh, what is known as the alt right 
has arrived uh, en masse and they've been, I don't know, parading and apparently there were some fistfights by the Greeks against Germans from the far right that arrived. And what the corporate media is trying to do, uh, like uh, FSIN or the newspaper that is allied with Syriza, or Yopoulos, the journalist that is allied with the Communist Party, is to now characterize uh, sections of the islanders as being neo-Nazis and also to characterize all the people that have self-organized in committees on the Evros borders as being neo-Nazis. And at the same time, what we've seen is the vice president of the European Parliament, Papa Vimoulis, who spent the whole of the last decade I think adopting migrants, you know, once he claimed he was in a toilet, probably, uh, I don't know, he must have touched up someone, and then he claimed it was a Nazi attack against him. He suddenly makes a speech in the European Parliament talking about what you just said, the European borders. So here we have something funny, and in my opinion, what is going on is Erdogan needs money. He's already found a way to generate the money, three or four years ago, when he claimed he's got millions of refugees from the war with Syria. It's not his war, so he needs money, and please pay him. And now he's trying to get money from the EU again, and the EU is now trying to run a different story to sort of say, you know, basically we can't pay you, and we have borders, and we're not going to accept uh, all these blowing. This is how it appears. The question is, on the meetings next week, is what are they going to decide? So I'll, I'll come back to what my opinion on the matter might be, is, you know, they might create a mini flood, you know, a couple of hundred thousand come across, collapses the Greek government, we go over to a national government. Uh, they might agree to pay him a certain amount of money and save him, and he might appear that I've saved Europe, from all the blowings coming across. Uh, there could be a third option that, you know, we don't know of a continuing conflict or a continuing uh, show of a conflict. But my question is, if it is the case of a conflict, then Greece would be obliged to throw out the Turkish ambassadors and shut down the border trade. You know, will they ever do that? Will this government ever do that? Will Merkel ever do it? I can't see that happening. Right, and I can't see that happening either, Evans. I think that um, the previous scenarios that you mentioned are much more likely to occur. Of course, we'll have to see what actually happens, and certainly when we're back again in a couple of weeks, we should have a clearer picture by then of what has taken place and what is going on by that point. I'm glad, by the way, that you mentioned the arrival for the first time of the so-called alt-right in Greece. Uh, because up until now, uh, the alt-right, all throughout the years of the economic crisis in Greece, has barely uh, mentioned Greece. Greece has barely been on their radar. They're, for all this so-called Euroscepticism, you never really heard much Euroscepticism from those parts regarding what the EU and all of its various constituent parts have done to Greece over the past decade or so. 
So now all of a sudden they've come in. The timing is very interesting. And as you mentioned, there was a punch up. It sounds like on Lesvos uh, between local residents and uh, members of a supposedly far-right group from Germany. Now, this is not the only incident that has taken place, though, and this takes us back to citizens in Greece seemingly taking matters increasingly into their own hands, whereas up until recently, there wasn't so much, let's say, direct action or participation against the, the 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 migrant issue other than in certain instances um there have been various cases in the past couple of weeks of foreign correspondents and journalists from overseas that have been attacked by citizens in islands such as Lesbos NGO offices and vehicles driven by their representatives have also been the um, target of attacks, vehicles driven by some of those foreign correspondents as well. And a lot of the NGO representatives that have been on these islands for many years now have uh, taken off, they've left, and that's increasingly being heard on social media and immediately the MSM, the mainstream media, comes in with interviews from some of these NGO uh, representatives that were in Greece until recently, uh, back in places like London, talking about what Nazis the Greeks are and, um, of course, pushing the open borders line and so forth. What is not being heard throughout this narrative is an abundance of evidence that exists. If we go back to what is going on on the Turkish side regarding um, how those migrants are even making their way toward the mainland border and toward the coast in the first place. And there's documentary evidence that has, for instance, shown drivers, professional drivers in Turkey... Uh, there was one who said that I've uh, filled half of Europe with migrants. So he transports these migrants from one end of Turkey to the other, deposits them at the border or the coast, and then goes back and gets more. There are various photos that have shown t the tear gas canisters that have been thrown into the Greek side in the mainland area from Turkey are Turkish tear gas canisters. And one has to wonder, uh, because in many cases, video has shown that it's the so-called migrants that have tossed them and not the police or the military. It's not so hard to figure out how those migrants may have gotten their hands on, on official made in Turkey tear gas. Uh, then we've also had um, other incidents where, for instance, uh, there's videos that have shown, uh, they have been filmed, I guess, from, you know, from smartphones, from buses in Turkey that have been transporting these so-called refugees to the border areas with Turkish officials telling the, um, the passengers of these buses essentially to get the hell out at gunpoint. Um, so threatening them at gunpoint to get out here at the border. Otherwise, they would presumably be shot or arrested or something like that. And there were even reports that Turkey, in this whole 
outflow that has been sent toward Greece has uh, even emptied out a few prisoners of its own here and there, uh, making some room, I guess, in its prisons, uh, emptying out uh, those prisons of certain undesirable elements for the, from the Turkish point of view anyway, and sending them on their way, giving them fake papers and telling them, you know, go to Greece and get the hell out of here. So it should it should be pointed here, uh, Evans, before you uh, before I toss it back to you, that there has been a lot of tur talk, not just now, but in the past year or so, ever since uh, uh, an outlet in Washington that is friendly toward the Trump administration first wrote this, and it was actually a piece written by a ex CIA official that. Turkey's national carrier, which is partly owned by the government, Turkish Airlines, is flying, in many cases, these uh, so-called refugees in. They're not even coming from the border with Syria. They're flying in direct from places like Kabul or Mogadishu, where essentially no one else flies to these places from Europe. So Turkish Airlines is has built up this gigantic network of routes to ridiculous places where there's really no tourist or business interest. And what is being heard is that they're given dirt cheap prices, but they are greeted at the airport by officials who uh, channel them off to the traffickers who then take them to the borders, take care of their fake paperwork, and give them a narrative to then tell... Uh, to the Greek or European officials once they arrive on EU territory, uh, that they are seeking asylum, that they're escaping war, they're escaping persecution, and so forth. So, Evans, uh, you wanted to uh, to chime in on this. Yeah, well, what I wanted to say before I forget, uh, the story you said about prisoners being entered from jails and being shipped across uh, is also in a popular film. Uh, called Scarface. Uh, that's how, allegedly, Castro, when the Americans were campaigning to them, open your borders, they're not a free island, you know, let them all out. Castro apparently emptied prisons in one way and just sent out all the, you know, nutters across the border to Miami with the obvious, you know, effects, uh, criminality, drug dealing and torture. Uh, so, you know, history seems to repeat itself. First time was tragedy, this time round is fast. I mean, you know, the, the examples you gave uh, uh, are very good. And, you know, there was another couple of ones which are quite funny. Uh, there was a group of what appears to be either Pakistanis or Bangladeshis who were apparently all stripped uh, by the Greeks. So somehow they got across the border, the Greeks stripped them and then pushed them back. And they were all in their identical or semi-identical Calvin Klein briefs all around the fire trying to keep warm. So, you know, you're left with a question. If they've been stripped to their briefs, how on earth did they manage to start a fire? And uh, where was this actual uh, photo taken? Uh, then there was another incident that appeared on the internet. A, a Cretan uh, company has been taking films of drowning blowings. So basically, they go close to the coast where all the equipment, pretend they're drowning, and then the image is bought and sold depending on where they want to circulate it. And then we had the, the famous case of the woman who arrived from, I think it was the Congo, uh, uh, in, in Lesbos, and she was, 
you know, kneeling on the ground as if praying and kissing it, that she's free, she's just arrived. And people noticed she had some German brand uh, outfit on, uh, a jacket, uh, which costs, you know, a minimum of 1,000 euros. That's the type of characters they call refugees. And uh, what we need to sort of say how, in my opinion, the next decade will go is that I think uh, the self-organising of Greeks in the areas where they're able to and where they're under the immediate threat of tens of thousands of blow-ins is inevitably going to lead to popular committees being created and they are inevitably going to become part of a parallel government on the ground. And I think their demands are going to be totally different from the governments and the political parties that are in parliament. Uh, the people are going to end up demanding, you know, the concept of revolutionary repatriation. Now, for many of your listeners, they assume uh, that anyone who is a follower of Marx or has read Marx has been a supporter of open borders for the last three decades, when the reality is that uh, in Marx's time, he campaigned vehemently, and that's why he set up his first organisation, called the First International, to basically block the ability of bosses to use labour as a commodity across borders in order to run down the rights of existing citizens in their own countries. And through the years that he was running the First International, he managed to defeat every attempt uh, by the British bosses of importing labourers from Europe to undermine wages and conditions within Britain. And at the same time, he had whole articles and passages against the concept of bourgeois humanitarianism which has now become the mantra of all, you know, the oligarchs around the world, uh, i.e., you know, we have to save the refugee. We have to adopt him. They are humans. Uh, and at the same time, none of them ever adopt a refugee. And they always want these so-called refugees put into poor areas. So what their agenda is, is destabilization to basically destroy the capacity of each nation to react and resist to all the nonsense that is happening. And following on from that, you know, we have to ask the question, Turkey borders with Iran, it also borders with Syria, it borders with us, and I think it borders with certain uh, states of the ex-USSR. It's a large country, 80 million, you have all these migrant flows in and out, you know, the drug routes from Afghanistan, uh, from Iran, you name it. And yet, not a single person allegedly has caught, you know, the latest virus that has become fashionable, corona. And what we see in Greece is they now said, oh, we've adopted, we've caught the virus. And who caught it? Allegedly, some grannies that went on a trip to visit religious churches uh, in the state of uh, Israel, where there's Greek churches, and because they were kissing, I don't know, the Madonna or whatever you want to call her, they came back and suddenly they've got 
the virus. None of the migrants were out in, you know, the cold, they're out in uh, dodgy conditions. None of them have caught it. They're all wonderful. And none of the ones that have come all the way from China, because, you know, there was the famous case about three or four weeks ago of that woman who was chanting about Morga camp, it's disgusting, uh, with her painted nails. You know, she looked uh, Mongolian to me. So none of these migrants apparently have got it, and no one in Turkey. Now, is that a coincidence, or is it so theatrical that we, we just laugh at the, at the way they present these things? <laughs> it it's uh, it's certainly very peculiar to say the least. I have open in front of me, Evans, the website that is operated by Johns Hopkins University. So we're talking here about an official source, and it's mapping all of the reported cases of coronavirus in every part of the world. And as of today, March 8th, there are zero cases reported in all of Turkey, whereas there's over 60 in Greece, which is one-eighth the size in population of Turkey. There's 22 in Palestine. We're talking about uh, a landmass that is about the size of Manhattan. Uh, crowded, yes, but also hard to get into and out. We're not talking about an area that has free movement like Turkey does. And yet we're supposed to believe that somehow the coronavirus has made it to Palestine despite the lack of free movement, but has not made it to Turkey where they have one of the busiest airports in the world in Constantinople or Istanbul, where you have these constant flows of people coming in from, in some cases, countries that have high numbers of the coronavirus incidents, such as uh, uh, Iran, for instance. And yet we have a big fat zero for Turkey. So that is very, very peculiar. That's one thing to take note of. Now, I'm also glad that you brought up Marx, Evans, because if we want to look at this from a theoretical and from a philosophical point of view, I think what you were referring to can be summed up by the concept of surplus labor, which I think is at the heart of the, let's say, support and love for open borders that we get, not from activists, not from ordinary people that identify themselves politically as being from the left, but from corporations, from banks, from what we would ordinarily call capitalists. Uh, and the idea here is to bring in imported labor that will be willing to work for less than your domestic working class, your domestic laborers, thereby undercutting your domestic working class. So I think that's uh, what we're seeing here with the so-called refugee crisis and what we've been seeing for the past decade at least, just as what has been going on in all parts of the world where we've been seeing a regime of open borders and so-called free trade. The U.S. is another example with the NAFTA agreement until recently in the open borders with Latin America and particularly Mexico is this importation of surplus labor. And the irony is, if you look at U.S. politics today, the only people that seem to be talking about this, they're not referring to Marx and are not using his, his terminology, but they're saying the same thing uh, about how imported labor undercuts domestic labor and their wages, 
are the Trump supporters. And it's ironic when everyone is calling Trump uh, the second coming of Hitler and a Nazi and far right and all these other things. And yet you look at the platform of his opposition, the Democratic Party, and they're tripping over themselves to declare themselves supporters of open borders and we're going to uh, undo everything that Trump has done and we're not going to keep kids in cages, even though that was actually what the Obama administration was doing. Just just this ridiculous rhetoric uh, that we're seeing from the so-called left once again. Now, uh, you mentioned the incident that um, so-called refugee that arrived on Lesbos from Congo. Some listeners might even be wondering, as, might have been wondering as they heard that. Well, she might have been wearing a thousand euro jacket, but maybe that was a counterfeit. And what, what I've actually read about that particular brand, it's a German brand. I had never heard of it. And I don't have the name in front of me right now, but apparently it's not widely available outside of Germany. And as a result, there are not many counterfeits of this particular brand available, if any. Uh, it's not a it's not a mass market brand uh, that is available all across the world. So that just makes this image and the fact that this individual was wearing this particular jacket all the more suspicious. Now, uh, let me go back to something as we only have a few minutes left and I wanted to get your opinion on this, Evans. We were talking, we've, we've been talking about the fake left. Earlier in the show, we addressed the so-called alt-right as well. There's a form of the alt-right in Greece that exists. There's even one parliamentary party that could be classified as such. Uh, they, it's the so-called Greek solution. They have a leader who is essentially a televangelist slash telemarketer of sorts. I mean, just an interesting case study here. Going on TV, even though he's in parliament and he's a leader of a party, and yet he still has his paid programming on TV, marketing, <laughs> since we were talking about the coronavirus, marketing creams that you supposedly spread all over yourself and, and it, it gives you immunity from the coronavirus. It's just a total absurdity. Uh, but at the same time, I want to come back to something we mentioned earlier. This uh, Twitter campaign, I Stand With Greece. One of the entities that is really pushing this hashtag on Twitter and has also created a meme that has been circulating within Greece and within the Greek diaspora is an outfit known as the Hellenic American Leadership Council. And it seems to me, and you can chime in, Evans, as, uh, as we close out, it seems to me that they are doing their part in helping to boost the current government, the Mitsotakis government in Greece, by giving him these anti-migrant, pro-Europe credentials, defending Europe's borders, coming back to that rhetoric. The, the campaign and these memes, they're very polished, they're professionally made, and it should be mentioned here that this outfit, HALC, or the Hellenic American Leadership Council, they're the same outfit that openly supported the PRESPA agreement that created the name North Macedonia for Greece's neighbors of Skopje. They were openly retweeting 
the leadership of NATO congratulating everyone, uh, Tsipras, the then government of Greece, and the then government of Skopje on the completion of this agreement. And all of a sudden now, you know, having finished their support of the previous so-called left-wing Syriza government, they are now boosting the so-called right-wing, so-called patriotic Mitsotakis government through this meme that everyone seems to be sharing, I stand with Greece. So, and it, this, this campaigning reminds me very much of the days back in 2015 where the referendum took place Nobody really knew what was being asked. It was framed as an anti-austerity referendum. But then Syriza, the then government, went on to actually pass more austerity. And once that happened, the this is the coup hashtag immediately began circulating along with all of the accompanying memes and images and so forth by people that were claiming to be left-wing and claiming to be anti-Syriza but pro-Syriza at the same time and anti-EU for supposedly overturning and pressuring Greece to overturn a referendum, but at the same time pro-EU in that there's no way Greece can leave the Euro and the European Union because it will be a disaster and we're all one family and there should be no borders and so forth. So some very, very clever uh, social media marketing. And I mention this because I would personally urge listeners to be to try to be as clever as possible when analyzing all of these messages that all of a sudden appear out of nowhere on the social media. Uh, t- I don't know what you think about this, Evans. Yeah, well, um, if we look at it politically, uh, if uh, Syriza is going to merge officially with uh, new democracy, that then opens the door for who the opposition is. Now, uh, the Lobbylos and Greek solution, you know, are like a circus act, uh, uh, and so is uh, Varoufakis. Uh, Zoe Constantopoulou, uh, who created a mini outfit called uh, the Party of Freedom, uh, was on record uh, this week to say, open the borders in Evros. So what is happening to the so-called left of Syriza is that there appears to be a realignment of forces where the Greek Communist Party is adopting the Syriza positions of open borders of the early period of the last decade. So that is where uh, this campaign uh, may be leading. It's, I stand with Greece, but the reality is I stand with globalism and Turkey, and on a practical level, it gives uh, patriotic credentials to new democracy, because I don't think anyone believes, including members of new democracy, that Mitsotakis and his family have anything to do with patriotism when, you know, they own I don't know how many NGOs, and they collaborate fully with uh, the fake left. And going back to what you said, something about the army and conscripts going to Evros, uh, the army is now going to be worn thin because primarily 
They're running uh, most of the migrant camps, feeding the blow-ins, cleaning their toilets. And like that, they're going to be involved in uh, border uh, control. Uh, I mean, how many soldiers are they going to be able to use for all of this? And where is Mitsotakis going to create his new migrant camps? As it appears, what is happening on the Aegean Islands is ensuring that uh, new migrant camps will not be built there. And I think the retreat of the NGOs, basically, you know, we don't know who is attacking them and exactly what's going on on the ground because we're not there. You know, they could also be attacking themselves uh, in a retreat fashion because they've been told that they have to leave, but they start burning things and smashing up their cars and then sort of blaming it on the population. Uh, their retreat is significant because it means they lost the battle of doubling the migrant camps there. And if that is the case, where is Mitsotakis going to build them? And I'll come back to my last and final point. Any event that creates a war scenario in the Aegean will destroy tourism for both parties, both Turkey and Greece. And that will lead to a significant loss of income and a significant loss for the foreign multinationals that run that tourist trade. That is why I think the focus of attention is now just going to be on the land border, and there we're going to see things play out. I think that's a very valid hypothesis, Evans, and we will see if that hypothesis plays out in the coming period, and certainly when we're back again in two weeks. A final thing that I'll mention is that we had Mitsotaki, since we just mentioned him, recently interviewed on CNN. It was an exclusive interview from what I saw, and all of a sudden, the Harvard Business School, his alma mater, also posting a sponsored uh, posting on Facebook uh, profiling Mitsotakis and his current efforts to uh, essentially protect Europe. And we're talking about Harvard University, which is uh, open borders are us. So you, you can't make this up. Just unbelievable what we're seeing. And it also represents a very notable change in the media's narrative toward Greece and even toward Mitsotakis because, because it was not too long ago, last July, when uh, he and his government were first elected, where you, for instance, had um, various foreign publications even calling him far right. There was even an Israeli newspaper that did a whole uh, piece on the government and some of his ministers, including, I believe, Vendias and some others, uh, essentially calling them uh, far right. And now all of a sudden we have uh, Mitsotakis, the defender of Europe and everything that is European. So interesting things going on. Yeah, until next time. So until next time, as we keep saying, a week is an eternity in politics. We ended up doing the show one week after our last one, but we're realigning. We'll be back again in two weeks. So um, for Evans Agelisopoulos, this has been Dr. Michael Nevradakis. You have been listening to Dialogos Radio. Thanks for joining us.